Hello and welcome to Season Goals, Episode 5. My guest today is performance nutritionist Charles Ashford. Charles is the current director of sports nutrition at the University of North Texas in Denton. Charles has a strong background in sports and exercise science, including a master's degree in sports nutrition and a certified strength and conditioning specialist. In addition to his full-time work at North Texas, he is also currently taking on PhD research in American football through the University of Huddersfield in the UK. In this episode, I talked to Charles about his role at North Texas, his PhD research and how it applies to his daily practice with the American football team. We also discussed nutrition tips for building muscle, nutrition demands for softball, team travel, and more. I hope you enjoy. Charles, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. I really enjoyed the episodes I've listened to so far, so uh, hopefully I can give the listener something of value today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have you were definitely one of those first people in my head of someone who I wanted to talk to because I think you bring a wealth of experience, not only in a performance sense, but also in terms of, I think, where we're kind of targeting this um, this info for, and that's, you know, working at the, the collegiate level. So I'm really excited to, to dive in and, and talk to you today. Yeah, fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. So, I mean, I mentioned in the intro here that you're at North Texas University, but kind of tell us a little bit about what you're up to at North Texas. How many teams do you guys have and, and what does a day-to-day look like for you as a director of sports nutrition over there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, entering my fourth year now, leading the sports nutrition program at uh, UNT. And kind of prior to this, there was no sports nutrition position in place. So it was a fantastic opportunity to kind of come in, um, you know, with a a blank script, honestly, and really be able to take it in the direction we wanted. We have 12 collegiate competitive teams. uh, So we have about 350 student athletes under our care and provision. And honestly, we've been growing just every day. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, the time we're recording this, we've pumped the brakes a little bit, but um, we're one of few schools uh, in that kind of group of five conference um, to have more than two full-time sports nutrition staff members, you know, which has been a huge plus for us. And I get to work with two fantastic sport dietitians, uh, you know, every single day. So, you know, our staff has grown to three which is hugely important. Obviously, there's still only three of us for 350 athletes, but um, it makes it a little bit more manageable than those first 18 months where it was just me. And, you know, I think that's a testament to our university and they're really heavily invested in that student-athlete health and welfare piece. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's not just a box-checking exercise here. You know, they really want to get the most out of our, you know, our abilities and our knowledge and apply that to the athletes, which is great. Yeah, cool. And then uh, in terms of the day-to-day, you notice that there's really no one day that looks the same working in collegiate athletics. And depending on the year, that can vary massively. Um, you know, typically arrive to the office sometimes as early as 5 a.m. Uh, sometimes I'll get to sleep in and come in about 7 or 8. And, you know, beyond kind of getting up and going for the day, uh, you know, making sure checking in with strength conditioning staff, sports medicine staff, uh, get to work with some phenomenal guys there who, you know, again, as a kind of multifaceted performance team, we're all pulling in the same direction, which is, you know, hugely important. And then just trying to show face, being around the facilities, you know, checking in the dining facilities, the weight room, 
um, working on whatever ongoing projects I'm working on, uh, getting in and around practices, meal periods, checking in with athletes, um, consultations, more scheduled work in the afternoon. It's it's a phenomenal job, honestly. It's there's a lot of freedom, and and you know really just trying to be around those athletes, coaches, and staff members as much as I can to be be effective. And obviously, once we get in season, uh, things look a little more hectic, a little more planning, a lot of ordering and meals, a lot of making shakes, a lot of taking of in inventory. But again, it, it's part of it, and maybe something people don't realize until they get. Uh, into it but yeah if you manage your time well it's fairly enjoyable so yeah that's, that's pretty much a day-to-day there yeah so sounds like not a lot of time sitting sitting down at a desk huh no yeah. not at all i mean you you have days where it's 3 4 p.m and you haven't even opened the pc yet and you know you're greeted by reams of emails but again you know just try and manage your time best you can um but I think that that's a really important point for any you know practitioners that are looking at this. Don't don't get boxed into the office. Get out there and be around your athletes. You know, at the collegiate level, these guys have incredibly busy schedules. Them coming to find you in your office is not particularly likely. So you know, get out there and get around them, and you know, be be accessible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to hear a little bit more about your PhD too. Cause I know that's something that you've recently started and you're looking at American football, which is a big sport for you guys at North Texas. But I'm curious about what are you looking at specifically? But then I'm also curious, how does a guy from England actually get involved with American football? How does that, how does that even happen then? Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that one. Uh, beyond <laughs> beyond watching the Super Bowl uh, a couple times uh, back, I guess, when I was in college, I have some pretty vivid memories of uh, probably my second year of college watching watching the Super Bowl with some friends. Um, but once I knew I was coming to Texas and, uh, you know, I was previously at Texas Tech University, I was furiously watching uh, collegiate games uh, on the SPN. Uh, the last couple of weeks I spent in the U.K., um, the time period I moved, the season had just started. So the season was already rolling. And I wasn't quite sure of what I was walking into, I guess. Um, and I really don't think it was until the first home game I had the opportunity to work and, you know, just kind of walk in the stadium. There were 65,000 people there to watch collegiate athletes play sport. And, you know, going to school uh, in the UK, that's, that's pretty much, you know, it is unheard of that, collegiate athletes are filling the stadium the size of Old Trafford. And, yeah, really mind-blowing, honestly. I think until you see it and experience it, just understanding the collegiate sport infrastructure out here is it's amazing. Um, but then shifting gears to the research, given the size, uh, the wealth, and the resources within the sport, there's next to no nutrition research in American football. Um, and it, Honestly, across American team sports in general, that applied nutrition research is very limited uh, when you compare, you know, to the work that has come out of places like UK and Australia and rugby, uh, soccer, American football. So honestly, why not American football? You know, someone has got to get in there and try and open this up because there's a, a number of fantastic practitioners working within these teams. I'm sure we all want answers to these questions. So, yeah, that's really kind of what we're hoping to start with the PhD project. Um, obviously, 
access at the collegiate level is a little bit easier than the professional level. Um, you know, a lot of professional teams out here have collective bargaining agreements, so kind of enforcing research can be very difficult. And I think a, a big thing we're hoping to do with this project is really try best we can to quantify uh, the energy demands of American football. You know, what does the demands of a full training camp look like? Um, how does the practice week differ to the demands of the game? You know, are these expenditures really as high as maybe what we think? Um, you know, obviously, we have big bodies, we have big players. Uh, calorie needs are high on that end. But when you compare, um, you know, like the GPS data from games to that of rugby, uh, soccer and Australian uh, football, you know, I, I don't think the demands are perhaps maybe as high in that aspect than we think. So really trying to pinpoint down you know, what the demands are, uh, you know, so us as practitioners have better information, uh, you know, to take to our athletes. And, you know, we can make some pretty good informed judgments, you know, based on the physiology of the sport and, you know, the needs on that end. But, you know, I think that research could be of huge value. Um, and, and our first study, honestly, is going to be pretty simple. Uh, we're going to take a look at just nutrition knowledge of um, Division One collegiate athletes. We're hoping to get a really robust pool of data there. And I think, again, as practitioners, we've spent a lot of time uh, focusing on educational interventions. And, you know, I include myself in this. And then we have a hard time on maybe understanding why, you know, the athletes aren't putting this into practice, especially given the, some of the resources these athletes have, you know, the top tiers of college football. Uh, so we just think the education is the answer. So we keep pushing education, education. And, I mean, look, look at... Uh, you know, in the current time period we're in, I can't open Instagram or Twitter without seeing a cookbook, an infographic, um, you know, more kind of things we're pushing on the athletes. But can we maybe try and unravel this a little bit and pay more attention to what the root cause of these interventions and applying the knowledge we have with these athletes? And, uh, you know, fortunately, the past year or so, um, people like Megan Bentley, uh, Dan Martin, and Essan have put out some good research starting to tap into that so I, I would love to follow up on that because i think um you know a lot of my guys know what they should be doing uh not all of them always do it so you know it's it's i think it's my duty as a practitioner to try and tap into that a little bit um and then lastly um looking obviously there's a huge contact element to the sport uh, and to bring up nessan again um, and some of james hudson's work we know that there's an increase in energy expenditure with contact um, in in the rugby. But what does this look like uh, in American football? You know, you think of linemen pretty much taking contact on every single play. Uh, are there better opportunities for us to, you know, get some more information on, you know, the metabolic and physiological demands of contact? And again, to be able to form what thing, you know, what, when my guys uh, come into the facility on a Sunday after a game, what do I need to be providing them to put them in a place, you know, to be successful this week? So, yeah, it's a big ask. Um, you know, we, we have a lot. We have a lot of great ideas. Um, I I actually just submitted my research plan the other day. Uh, ethics for study one has been approved. That's so, great. Um, hopefully, about to get the ball rolling here, and, and hopefully, you know, it picks up and inspires others to jump on it too, because. Um, you know, maybe there's four or five studies in here, but there's a whole wealth of work I think we could do and add to the space. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to hope 
you know, within the next 10 years or so, we'll, we'll have some of that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of questions that kind of stem, stem from what, from, from your answer. And I think, I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting about American football, and I'm not an expert in the area, but it's almost like, I mean, you have, the teams are rather large in terms of just the numbers, but then the the positions that someone plays, whether they're offense or defense, would also greatly, I would imagine, then influence energy expenditure and physiological demands, which then it's almost like you're, I mean, could you almost consider that you're working across multiple teams in one team around that sort of like nutrition requirements? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And I think, again, to lean on, you know, some of the GPS data we get, we look at, you know, the distance covered by positions like wide receivers uh, and defensive backs are way higher than, you know, let's say offensive and defensive linemen. But the number of snaps those positions are playing, uh, you know, there's high-intensity movements, the contact. There's so much going on in the field at the same time. You know, like you mentioned with these different positions, uh, the style of play that a team plays, um, you know, the tactics come into it hugely. And then also the large numbers on the squad and the team, you may take 70 players to a game, but no more than 45 <laughs> or no more than 45 or 50 maybe get into the game. So then yeah. how do you control for those 20 guys who, you know, may come on a road trip with the team for the weekend where there is ample opportunities to eat and have access to food, you know, how are you controlling for that? Say if you have an athlete who needs to drop some body fat, how are you controlling for it? You know, if you have an injured athlete, there's so many considerations and a lot of teams typically only have one practitioner to deliver all of this. So you have to be um, effective and far in what you're trying to deliver. Uh, but at the same time, not beat yourself up too much about it. You know, there's a lot of things you can be doing, but, um, you know, trying to nail down the fundamentals of these guys is, you know, a big part of, I think, my daily work. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's let's dive into kind of that, that daily work a little bit then, because I know that you've mentioned in some past interviews and podcasts, and you just mentioned it here, that the football players you work with can typically have a, or they appear to be having like a high energy expenditure. But then also the fact that these guys may be looking to gain weight for performance reasons. But then the challenge that we layer on top of that is that they're a student athlete and they don't have a lot of time. So how do you, how do you kind of coach someone to meet those energy demands and get that food in? Because so often we hear, I don't have time to eat. So what do you do in a situation like that? Yeah, that's the that's the million dollar question now. I think this is a big one uh, again with this demographics. I really think trying to nail down a schedule or a structure for them. Again, there's so many athletes; not everyone on the team is on the same schedule. Um, so trying to look at their own daily schedule, you know, much the same when we talk about you know facilitating nutrition, the training schedules, or you know those demands. What about the life demands too? If I have a guy who has a lift at 7 a.m., it's pretty unlikely he's going to get up and eat a full breakfast before training. So taking each individual and trying to, you know, come up with a plan of action, uh, you know, which matches up to their daily demands, I think uh, a big thing I think we've had a lot of success with is can we can we come away from snacking, for say? Um, you know, can we try and reframe snacks more as mini meals? 
Um, you know, can we get these snack, snacks to reflect the macronutrient composition of maybe a smaller meal? Um, you know, if I say snack to an 18-year-old, uh, you know, male teenager, I, the responses I'm going to get are, you know, your typical snack foods, chips, candy, um, those kind of things, you know, uh, for a Division One college football athlete looking to meet their calorie demands, uh, a bag of sun chips and a Gatorade is not what I'm looking for. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not cutting it. You know, yeah, can we, yeah. with a little bit of prior planning and a little bit of preparation, perhaps in evening before, maybe uh, we can have a small mixed meal prepared or something that we can throw in the bag and take to class. Um, a big one that a lot of our guys like to do is when they leave lunch, um, you know, they may have afternoon classes. Uh, it, it's a big opportunity for them to get a nap or maybe when they wake up, they mix up a smoothie, um, you know, and they can pretty much pack that with a decent amount of calories and some good nutrients too. You know, we're not just looking at calories here. I'm really big on trying to push, uh, you know, food as itself and, you know, be able to, get all the benefits of those different vitamins, minerals, uh, you know, polyphenols and all that good stuff, um, you know, take that to class and you can sip on it. You know, it, it, it's very warm in Texas. You may not want to be housing down, you know, a meal snack. So trying to find ways for them to, you know, reframe those opportunities, uh, two or three of those a day. Now we're really kind of pushing up the calorie intake, um, I think a big mistake, again, if we're going to use American football athletes as an example, uh, they may try and overdo it at meal periods. Um, they fill up, they eat too much, and kind of sabotage their appetite for the rest of the day. Um, so that's a big reason why we try not to let them get behind the eight ball. Um, and this would be a period where I would encourage a more frequent uh, meal frequency for them. Um, and then beyond that, uh, things like yogurt parfaits, being able to make, you know, a couple deli meat and cheese sandwiches and a good quality bread. Uh, if you're really strapped for time, can you mix mix up a whey protein shake, some whole milk, um, mixed nuts? You know, th there's plenty of things they can be doing. Um, but just trying to come up with a plan and a structure for them. And I think, you know, sometimes in our field and us as professionals, you know, people turn their nose up at meal plans. But sometimes, you know, until we know the individual athlete, you may be working with an individual who just needs everything mapped out for them. Um, it's very easy, you know, you know, get some protein in the snacks up. But what does that look like? So, right. you know, uh, what what is an appropriate amount for them? Uh, a 10 gram of protein bag of beef jerky is not cutting it from my 330 pound lineman. So how do I, you know, work with that individual? And that's a bit, you know, we, we all speak about that individualized approach. So I think really trying to delve in it, delve into it with that individual Um uh, and on their end too, there's got to be a readiness to, you know, be able to put a little bit of work in the front end. But I think fortunately, once they start to see some results, uh, you know, they they're all in. The compliance is there. Uh, we've we've had some good success with that. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think it kind of. I think some of what you just mentioned may answer another question that I want to ask you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So if we're not just talking about football, but we're talking about building muscle. So muscle hypertrophy, you know, what do you, is it, is it a similar strategy? What are you doing if, you know, if any athlete, any student athlete comes to you and says they, they want to put on muscle, what is like, or what are some nutrition considerations that they need to make? And, and does also the, 
time of season kind of impact this possibility to, to, to build, to build muscle? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I think the number one thing uh, to remind these athletes that, um, again, James Moorhead did some great work in rugby league uh, academy athletes. How long it, it takes time to add quality mass. You know, I think sometimes we get these 17, 18 year old uh, athletes on campus and they're expected to transform into NFL bodies after their first off season. And it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You know, uh, if we want to add quality mass, you know, performance enhancing weight to these athletes that, you know, adding a load of food into their uh, daily life and schedule and adding a load of unnecessary fat mass is not going to be helping them from a performance standpoint. Uh, and in the long run too, you know, we only have them for four years and this is like, you could do a whole podcast on, on this, but um, maybe we'll leave that for another yeah. time. <laughs> Um, so I think one is just trying to reframe my expectations and, you know, we're heavily going to target that off season period. Um, it is still possible in season. Um, but typically there's a reduced training volume. Um, you know, and obviously we need the resistance training piece here where, you know, off season is such a huge part uh, of collegiate sports. So, um, but again, if you're a guy who's not playing or redshirting for your first season, that those first couple of years are hugely important. So when these guys get onto campus, we're really trying to capture that group to make the most of that time period. So when uh, their time comes, you know they have physically developed and can go out there and perform. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that is. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that is interesting to think about the the transformation that maybe happens from a first-year athlete to a third-year athlete, right? And we can't expect that first-year athlete to come in and then all of a sudden just be up to the same expectation as that fourth year. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll, I'll give an example here. Um, you know, our recently graduated uh, senior quarterback, he, his very first season, he played at 158 pounds. Okay. His final <laughs> His final season just gone. Uh, he played at 195 pounds, and he's maybe 10% body fat. So again, it it can be done. Uh, there was some frustration along the way that maybe you know everyone was hoping it would come a little bit quicker, but it takes time. You know, uh, on a five foot ten, five foot eleven frame, it, it takes time to add quality mass. So I think one reframing those expectations, and two, it's highly individual. You know, some of these athletes have had exposure to a strength and conditioning program prior to college, uh, especially here in Texas, a lot of high schools hire, you know, a qualified strength and conditioning coach. Some of the guys come step foot on the campus and they've never been in a weight room before. So again, highly individual from that sense. But when we look at the nutrition, uh, kind of leaning on the previous answer, I think meal frequency is a big one. Um, you know, I'm not expecting athletes to count calories, but I think if we're aligning the meal frequency to you know five to six feeds a day we're definitely going to be getting close to where we are and i think this is important again for supporting performance uh, especially in the off season you know there's some pretty good research out there showing uh, improved uh, kind of volumes in the weight room additional repetitions you know it may only be a few reps but what does that look like over an eight week off season when you lift five times a week so again the small things that we can kind of drip feed into these athletes um, I mentioned the schedules, you know, some I've seen athletes roll out of bed, uh, you know, run into a locker room and they're 
PJs and head up to the weight room, knowing well they haven't had anything to eat, um, you know, coming off an overnight fast. And it may be noon before they have their first meal of the day. So I think trying to increase that frequency uh, definitely helps reduce that trap of overeating, you know, trying to play catch up later in the day, which again, is somewhere I've seen a lot of guys go wrong. And obviously we're trying to encourage them to get a good amount of calories period. But if they break it down and are proactive a little bit in the earlier parts of the day, um, they make it a lot easier on themselves. So can we get up 20 minutes earlier and have a small snack? But I'm expecting you to go and eat breakfast immediately after training. Now it's, you know, nine, nine thirty. You've had a meal, you've had some additional snacks. Maybe there's a recovery shake in there. Then you're going to have an appetite again come lunchtime instead of not eating until lunchtime at all. So I, I think that's a big conversation we have. Um, you know, I'm not expecting athletes to track every calorie, but if we're getting that frequency in and, you know, again, say I won't go on about this too much, but same as our previous answer, can we get, um, you know, that afternoon snack or that pre-bed snack to resemble a smaller meal? Um, you know, off the top of my head, you know, a small mixed meal, 30 grams of protein, 50, 60 grams of carbohydrates, a little bit of fat in there too. You know, that that is more in line with what we're trying to achieve with these guys. And it's not a huge amount of food, but over two, three times a day, it definitely adds up and helps us get, you know, closer to where we need to be. Yeah, I think I think one of the one of the challenges that that I can sometimes run into and and it sounds like it sounds like something is happening similar over there is that you can have people can wake up, roll out of bed, get to the weight room and they can they can complete a session and they can do it. But is it are they getting that kind of optimal response right to to the training stimulus if their nutrition isn't on point? And this is something that. I got to talk to Mark Fell about just in our last episode about trying to, you know, get that, that extra little nutrition support can really support that, that training stimulus to adapt to the training. So yeah, you might be able to complete the session fasted and then not eat for a few hours later, but are you really optimizing then the work that you just did? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we speak to our guys about that all the time. You know, every, every team in the country is going through strength and conditioning sessions and working hard right now, but not everyone is dialed in on the nutrition end and really optimizing what they're doing. You know, there's a big difference coming off eight or nine hours sleep, hydrating well and having a quality mixed meal a couple hours before training and going in there and getting that work done, as opposed to sprinting in the facility upstairs with no food, no fluid off the back of five, six hours sleep. Yes, these guys are talented. Some of them are incredibly genetically gifted. They're going to go in there and get the session done. But are you really optimizing what you could have done and then, you know, the results afterwards? Yeah. And, yeah, that's – I think the meal frequency is one that we really try and target. Uh, And with that, then we're probably achieving optimal protein – intake and distribution Uh, we know um that we should be looking to spread those protein boluses out throughout the day Uh, you know for our guys we're probably looking at five to six boluses again if we're using an american football athlete as an example or individual higher body weight we probably need that many feeds to achieve that daily total 
um, you know, again, we're targeting the post-workout period, uh, perhaps the pre-bed period. And, you know, again, um, coming away from just the generic advice or information. So we always hear 20 grams of protein, but, you know, look at the McNaughton study a few years ago, the, the 40 gram protein dose, uh, you know, when compared to 20 grams, we saw some greater responses, you know, when we talk about things like protein synthesis. And if you've ever seen a collegiate team, uh, regardless of the team, it's typically a full body lift. And, you know, that's what they did in, in this research study. When they're not, they're not hitting my Friday arm session, you know, right. they're hitting power <laughs> cleans, squatting, they're bench pressing, they're, they're doing a wide array of exercises. Um, so, Again, just trying to reframe some of those recommendations and expectations. If if I'm telling my 300-pound lineman he needs five, six boluses of 20 grams of protein per day, he's going to be nowhere near those kind of recommendations. So, again, just trying to break it down for them, um, you know, deliver it in a manner which is something they can apply. And, again, uh, most – Athletes, again, this is something I think I've experienced in my time in the U.S., that they like to eat protein-containing foods. You know, again, I'm going to keep leaning on American football as my example here, but if I tell an athlete they only need three ounces of meat in the meal, they're going to look at me sideways and yeah. keep, walking, <laughs> keep adding it, you know. So, again, we just try to perhaps do things a little bit differently. And it's nothing groundbreaking, but just trying to deliver it to the athlete and uh, one more I want to add, um, again, while we're on this example, is I think typically a desire to gain weight um, or muscle mass among collegiate athletes is followed by the, what supplements should I take or right. what supplements can I take or what do you recommend? And obviously we're pushing a food-first approach. I, I would hope my answers before this, you know, we're very trying to centered around good quality nutrition and food. Um, but at the same time, it, it's a low-hanging fruit for me to – give them direct them towards something um obviously we know ncaa we, can, we can't give them a whole lot right and right. Um, uh, you know when we talk about supplement like creatine monohydrate um you know very robust safety profile huge amount of evidence and research to show its benefits um you know I, instead of me just telling them no or you don't need supplements and them going out to look for something on their own why don't i steer them in the direction of a good quality third-party tested creatine, um, and they probably are down the line going to see some benefits, uh, especially when we talk about resistance training um, and that desire to add lean body mass. And, you know, also from a compliance standpoint, this was something um, I was thinking about the other day. That initial uh, period of starting supplementation and maybe that small two to three-pound spike in weight that can be very motivating for an athlete who has been struggling in the game way. Yes, it may not be lean body mass, but I don't have to be the one to tell them that, you know, and, and that keeps the ball rolling. And now we can get more compliant in other areas. If I give them that, then they may be more likely to follow another piece of advice. And we just are able to layer that on. So that's a really important one. And again, probably more functioners on this. If, if it's safe, if it's third party tested and it's not causing much harm, then, you saying no or taking that away from an athlete can really negatively impact all the other work you're trying to do. So, um, and again, from a cost standpoint, um, I think now foods make an informed sport, um, tested creatine. I think it's 15 
dollars on Amazon for over 200 servings, you know, for barely seven cents a serving, you know, we're getting, you know, another layer into this whole picture. So yeah, just that's one, I guess, maybe for the athlete and practitioner there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, as soon as you mentioned creatine, I was, I was thinking, well, one of the, the best things about that one, you know, again, making sure that it's third party tested safe is that it's affordable too. And that's another thing that we also want to think about when you're recommending an athlete to eat over 3000 calories a day. Is it, do they even, do they have the resources to actually make that happen? And that's a, that's a really, uh, I think important consideration that is sometimes overlooked um, that uh, around that, like food availability and the, uh, the resources to afford, whether it's, supplements or enough food but the nice thing about creatine is that like you said it's it's really affordable absolutely and you can probably put whey protein in that same category you know again most of these american football athletes are having intakes or you know would hope to have intakes in excess of 200 grams of protein a day it's pretty unrealistic to expect a collegiate athlete to go out and purchase high quality leucine rich animal products to fill all of that need. So, um, you know, something that we do, we have a good third party tested whey protein available. You know, everyone has their own shakers that were issued to them. It take care of it and fill it up. You can come and get a couple scoops of whey protein every day. And then maybe now we've provided you that afternoon protein bolus for your smoothie or your pre bed shake and we've saved you you know we've kept some money in your pocket and you know whey protein is is a very high quality protein source again i yes i would love everyone to be getting that from food but i think sometimes we're pretty quick to shut down those discussions and ideas but if that's convenient for my athlete uh it's cheap it's safe um if they can mix it into a great tasting smoothie and then maybe use it as a vehicle to get some other nutrients in. Well, that's fantastic. We're checking a lot of boxes there. So yeah, I think it's important to be able to give them something if necessary and there is a benefit and very, and no risk there. Instead of just saying no, I found in my experience, if I, if I just shut those conversations down, you know, earlier in my career or you don't need this or, um, you know, there's maybe a slight element of risk. They're going to go out and do it on their own. Right. Again, as you know, we're working with drug-tested athletes and the the sanctions for failing a test can be incredibly, um, you know, detrimental to athlete. We're not just talking about a sports career here. We're jeopardizing education and what does that look like down the line. So, of course, you have to be incredibly diligent as a practitioner in that sense. Uh, We keep very, um, you know, robust records uh, anything our athletes are taking we're recording batch numbers we're checking it out online we're keeping spreadsheets um again we're, we're not just protecting them we're protecting us ourselves too you know i i, I like my job i would like to stay in work yeah. <laughs> so. yeah absolutely okay so i mean i think like you said I mean, we could go on on for this for hours but um think we might mostly just be entertaining ourselves with <laughs> with that but what I do I do want to shift gears here because um, I want to talk to you about another team that is doing quite well at, at your university and that's the softball team so you guys won your conference what was that in 2018 I think is that right 
2019. So 2019. Okay. Around about this time last year. Okay. Okay. So conference winners. Um, and so I'm curious because softball, it can be a long game, but as you and I have kind of talked about a little bit with, you know, with football and GPS data from there. Okay. Softball is a long game, but maybe there's not a lot of physical distance covered. So what can you tell us about your experience working with softball, the energy demands and then nutrition recommendations, whether that might be from like a pregame meal or then also like in-game fueling or is in-game fueling even a necessity at all? Yeah. And then again, this is a great question because these demands are relatively unknown uh, and much the same again for the male counterpart of baseball you right. know, again, and the resources um, you know, at a professional level, yes, there is a demand and, um, you know, athletes need to rely on their ability to be explosive. And when we look at actions such as, uh, you know, pitching, hitting, uh, you know, sprinting between the bases and the outfield throwing, they're all explosive movements. But when we look in terms of the total work and distances, um, again, especially at some of these practice sessions, if you've ever gone to watch a softball uh, batting practice, you have maybe five or six the girls they take 10 hits each and they rotate out and there's not a particular huge amount of work done in the total session so when we talk uh pre-game meals uh, and this is something that just changed recently at least in our conference where the girls are now playing a game on friday saturday and sunday where they used to have a double header uh, in most of those games so you know in terms of daily demands if the girls are typically getting a good quality meal and a breakfast, um, this might look like an omelette with maybe some wheat toast or some oatmeal, um, perhaps some Greek yogurt and some fresh fruit, for example. Um, don't forget the coffee. Uh, those right. girls <laughs> love their coffee. Um, and then typically then they're heading to the field or the stadium to begin those preparations. And we would typically order in, um, you know, maybe a sub sandwich. So we're getting a dose of protein, a fairly decent amount of carbohydrates. And this also gives the athlete a little bit more freedom as to, you know, how close they would like to eat it to the game. Uh, if they don't want to eat it all prior to the game, you know, again, those individual differences vary a lot. So now we're heading into a game and these athletes have had two meals already. I don't think there needs to be a huge emphasis on the in-game uh, fueling and typically in softball um you know it, it can be there can be a lot of candy down there a lot of a lot of fruit snacks a lot of you know chips and things we just try to we try to educate our girls and they have a phenomenal strength and conditioning coach who is you know probably a bigger seller in nutrition than i am myself yeah. <laughs> fantastic job and you know travels with the team and you know remind them, them of these messages and to a point where they took pride in it, you know? So now maybe we have some fresh fruit in there and some mixed nuts, some good quality protein bars for those who do want something or need something extra additional. Um, depending on the weather, again, we are in Texas and in the South, we play in some pretty warm and humid environments. I would argue that hydration status is probably a more important thing when we're going into these games. There's a pretty big cognitive element tactical elements of the game so making sure the girls are well hydrated do we need a lot of simple sugars from sports drinks and stuff during a game I, I would argue probably not now in those scenarios and maybe they're playing a couple times um 
a day or if a game goes to extra innings, maybe. But honestly, where they're trying to replicate things that we would hope the girls were doing day to day, you know, they're just general good quality nutrition habits. Um, you know, again, similar to football, the team may take the whole squad to a game but not everyone is playing over the course of the weekend so having a lot of access to food and meals and snacks and um, maybe when you're not playing or don't have the demands of the girls who are playing how is that then impacting you know things like body composition or you know their goals and expectations of where they would like these girls to be you know if they're typically not playing it's because they're being developed for the following year so i think we're having a more emphasis on this getting things right on the day-to-day and i don't think game day um for this group should really look any different to what we expect uh day-to-day yeah i mean i guess yeah i think you're right and i the the one the thing that popped into my head immediately was well we just want to make sure that they're nutritionally prepared with breakfast and maybe some type of pre-game meal but then i immediately catch myself thinking well, that's what we want every day, right? Of, of someone to be prepared, whether that's from a training standpoint or a competition standpoint. So um, I think you make a really good point that it, that, that sort of that match day meal or the match day nutrition maybe doesn't really change that much from an everyday nutrition if we're following uh, good nutrition practice. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I need to, give a shout out to this group in this standpoint because they've completely owned this and it's been fantastic to see that you know they're holding each other accountable and they're holding a higher standard and i'm not saying uh, nutrition is a big part in their success at all but i think it goes to show um you know the mindset of the whole team across all aspects that they're in and they, they take ownership in this they understand it and they apply it um and yes, it probably looks a little bit different to some of our other teams and the items we're providing. But, you know, again, it's we're trying to educate them on what they need to do and we're giving them the tools to hopefully put it into place. And we haven't had any pushback. And fortunately, they continue to see success on the field, um, you know, and obviously the buy-in comes with it. So, yeah, a phenomenal group. have done some great things. And it's great to see, you know, when they, they take ownership of it, they don't need me. Uh, or the strength and conditioning coach looking over the shoulder. They know the things that is expected of them when it comes to their nutrition. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think so. So, kind of, you mentioned you mentioned this about softball, but I think this can also really apply to to any team that kind of travels. And you know, our particularly our softball team, um, but a lot of our teams, they. They do they do a decent amount of travel uh, for for competition, and it's usually road trips on on the bus. So, what are some kind of key snacks now for thinking about really like practical application? Some key snacks that you would provide, um, or ones that you would recommend uh, any student athlete to kind of pack while traveling. Yeah, this is a this is a good one. I think uh, the bus trip sometimes can be a tough one to navigate. Um, fortunately, with our softball group, we do provide them with individual snack bags. Typically, the contents of this, um, we'll look at a beef jerky, you know, good quality protein bar. Um, so fortunately, right there and then, we can probably get 30 to 40 grams of protein in. 
and then some more generic items. We may have a popcorn or a pretzel to kind of fulfill, you know, that additional salty snack desire. Um, and then maybe a trail mix, uh, a couple pieces of fruit, and then plenty, plenty of water. You know, we're trying to maintain that hydration status. And then the contents of that bag somewhat resembles a meal. Um, they don't have to eat it all at once. They can kind of snack on it as they necessary or appropriate. Uh, and again, all things which hold up pretty well, um, you know, in a in a Ziploc bag or in a backpack or wherever you may be keeping it. Um, and then from another standpoint, it it helps the athlete save money on the road. Uh, I think rest stops and gas stations in America really price gouge you there. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're trying to help them keep money in the pocket. And then from that standpoint, if we're providing something, uh, maybe a little bit of a deterrence from buying the suboptimal options at the gas station and rest stops. Um, this this is a you know sometimes we pull up to a a large rest stop with a hundred football athletes it's it's mayhem and chaos in there you know so again maybe a, a little bit of a deterrence to try and steer them away from some of those options um, and then I think the duration duration of the trip will always play into it too so if you know you have a long trip coming up uh, even if you have stuff which is provided just a little bit of preparation on your own end uh, things that you like to eat or you feel comfortable with um which you know uh you digest well and sit well with you i think any of those items are appropriate and just being prepared there's nothing worse than being caught short um you know being on a long journey and not having enough fluid uh, at the end of the day this this travel was typically taking place the day before a fixture um, it's not like you're going to get multiple days there. So this is a big day in your preparation. Um, so making sure you don't get caught short and have those items that you need. Um, however, it's not uh, not all business. You know, our softball coach does permit uh, an ice cream trip following a, a road series win, which, you know, is great. Again, it's, uh, you know, some motivation for those athletes that, you know, we still allow them to enjoy the foods that they want to enjoy and have those but you know there's a time and a place for it we're going to prepare like professionals and you know we'll, we'll enjoy the victory and um, and the good stuff on the other side yeah yeah and i think I mean, one of the things that you that you just mentioned which i think is is very interesting about the the collegiate environment um is that you don't have a lot of time be due to you know school schedules and education requirements is that you're not you're not taking a bus or 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 a plane you know three four days before a game right you are showing up the day before um or if you're lucky maybe you have like a day maybe um and so it is that you you go at, at the same time as you're traveling and having the the challenges of of traveling and maybe the stress of traveling, you're also trying to prepare nutritionally for a next day's match. Yeah, absolutely. So then I would backtrack a little bit and pay attention to the times you are leaving. Make sure you have a good quality meal, you know, the hour before you depart. Um, perhaps you are leaving mid-afternoon and there's going to be an evening meal on the other end too. So then maybe we don't have to put as much emphasis on the travel period. So I think just paying attention to your schedule uh, and your, and your day, um, 
you know, again, as a herbal my athletes have got that meal frequency dialed in and there shouldn't be too much of an issue, but, uh, yeah, don't a little bit of preparation. Um, doesn't take much paying attention to the schedule, um, couldn't really go a long way and, you know, making sure, you know, you've, you've had a meal that you enjoy and a good quality mixed meal before you get on the bus. And I think you'll kind of eliminate a lot of the problems that may arise. From yeah. That piece. Yeah. Well, Charles, I got, I got one more question for you and, and, you know, we're in, we're in Southern California, which it can, can get quite hot. It doesn't get as hot as Texas, <laughs> but we've also traveled uh, sometimes to Vegas um, and outside of, you know, whether let's just talk about any sport here, not just, not just softball now, but you know, I can't talk to someone who's working in Texas without talking about managing heat. So for those outdoor sports that you work with, what are some tips for athletes out there um, that are on the field or the track around hydration and cooling in a hot environment? Yeah, that great question. Um, it's already warming up pretty good uh, down here uh, this week. And I just think from a practitioner standpoint, this is one of my non-negotiables with athletes, uh, especially being in Texas. I just think being well hydrated and water itself is so underrated. I think it was a 2009 study um, in a pretty large number of collegiate NCAA athletes. I think 53% in your competition in a dehydrated state. So again, just a lot of these athletes don't know what it feels like to compete and train, you know, fully hydrated, well rested, well fed. So it's a big non-negotiable for me. I think we would always encourage athletes to begin sipping fluids immediately upon waking um, on their way into the facility, you know, making sure you have a refillable uh, vessel that you can sip on the way in refill as soon as you come through the door. Um, you know, any college campus I've ever been on in the U S there are ample places to refill, you know, a water bottle or, you know, whatever you're carrying your fluid in. Uh, and taking that into meetings, taking it to class, it, it sounds very easy to do. And it is incredibly easy to do, but there's still so many, again, so many athletes that don't do it. We can educate about ounces, everything all day long. But again, just having a good refillable vessel, keeping it clean, having it with you, I think is a big one. Beyond that, um, I think as an athlete or individual, paying attention to how much you sweat and how much fluid you lose during training and tell a lot uh, to you and whether you're working with an individual to work this out or doing it yourself, you know, um, weighing in prior to training, weighing out afterwards, trying to inform, you know, how much weight do you typically lose uh, in a practice session? We know that your schedule is pretty similar throughout most weeks. Um, so you can start to kind of gauge that. Maybe you can keep some notes, um, on how much fluid you are losing to try and help inform, you know, your own habits and practices. Um, again, you know, we, the, some of our football athletes may practice for two and a half hours in additional equipment outside in a hundred plus degrees weather. Oh, so when they come in and they see the weight, maybe down seven, eight, nine pounds, they begin freaking out, you know, and having them understand you know, that, they need to be taking those fluids on board, uh, especially again, when they're going to train again tomorrow. Now 
where it increased risk of injury. So I think the weighing in and out um, can be a really nice practice, especially for a team which is practicing outdoors, uh, training camps. So typically that time of year, we're looking at the football and the soccer, spending a lot of time in the heat um, and trying to dial those in before we get to competition. Um, you know, just learning your own body a little bit. Again, it, this is something which is highly individual. I have athletes that lose no weight during practice. I have athletes that lose 10 pounds every time they practice in the heat. So very individual um, to try and utilize your uh, sports nutritionist, uh, strength and conditioning coach, athletic trainer. There should be someone within your facility that can help you um, come up with a plan from a hydration standpoint. Beyond just hydration, um, you know, fortunately, um, you know, coaches will allow those hydration breaks during practices. Some sports, there's more opportunities to get fluids in than others. But make sure that when you do have those breaks, you have access to fluid or you have taken um, fluids of your own to be able to access during those rest periods. And perhaps you may need something a little more than just water itself. So we are in a heat and we're going a long time. Okay, now's a scenario where a sports drink makes sense. Is that available to you? Or do you need to purchase it yourself? Perhaps you can even make it yourself if you want to save save some money. Um, you know, a quick Google search will show you a hundred different sports drink recipes. And you know, just again, it, it's a little bit of preparation on that end. Uh, it can have a big impact, and just trying to form good habits uh, with these individuals. Yeah, I think you know the, the thing that you brought up, which I think is so important, is that you don't wait until competition day to figure out, Oh no, I'm dehydrated. Something's going wrong. <laughs> right. It's, it's that practice, 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 those good habits that you just talked about establishing where, you know, you know how you respond in the heat because you've been spending a training camp. You've been spending months outdoors already. So understand what I need. And that could look very different than your teammates sitting, sitting right next to you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think especially during these training camp scenarios, uh, as an example, you're spending so much time within the facility, meetings, practicing, you know, trying to perfect your craft as a sport. We can we can pretty drastically negatively impact our performance just from being dehydrated. So let's pay some attention to it. And again, on our end, we'll make this stuff accessible throughout the facilities, you know, but again, making sure that athletes are utilizing it, whether that's having an individual, you know, kind of stood at a table, handing out beverages, making it look appealing, making sure it's ice cold. There's a lot of things, you know, you can do to kind of improve compliance um, on that end. I think back to training camp last year, we were using um, kind of electrolyte infused uh, ice pops, you know, something a little bit different. Athletes love that, uh, the cooling sensation, um, you know, again, if you are looking for methods of cooling, it's get creative, use an ice towel, um, you know, try and get out the heat or in some shade where you can, um, you know, not always possible, but I think just sometimes a little bit of attention and preparation can really go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Charles, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So before we go, I want to say thank you, not for just sitting down um, sitting down with us and, and, and 
sharing your knowledge, but also from a personal side, it's been great to um, have you as a colleague um, in my position and be able to chat with you on a pretty regular basis and bounce ideas off each other. And, uh, and you've been a super valuable resource uh, for me. So thank you. Um, but before we do go, I, I just want to kind of ask, is there anything else that you would, you know, like to shout out to um, student athletes in general um, or younger developing athletes around uh, nutrition tips? Yeah, um, I, I would just say or encourage, you know, the athletes system, you know, give it a chance. I think um, the thing is with nutrition, you're not going to see instantaneous change you know it takes a little bit of time um you know understand that this is an effort which is kind of stacked upon each other day after day and can really go a long way in improving you know your performance your recovery and um, your immunity all of these things which are you know hugely important is your success and that as an athlete and I think sometimes it's not truly understood. You know, yes, student athletes may be young, and for the most part, they a lot of them can get away with maybe suboptimal practices. But until you understand how it really feels to, you know, train and compete at a high level when you are taking care of this stuff day in, day out, I think sometimes they're leaving percentage points on the table, which they don't they haven't really unlocked their true potential yet. So um yeah, just just give it a chance. There's enough uh, great professionals out here in the US. Perhaps you have access to. Hopefully, you have access to one already. You know, utilize them. It's a, it's a small part of your day to day and your responsibility as a student athlete. Cool, cool. All right, Charles. Well, we will uh, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Cool. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.